0: Uh, Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 15, it's on page 689 or 977. Uh, Just prior to our reading, uh, Jesus has been in conflict with the Pharisees uh, and that ended with them beginning to plot how they might kill him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear it, minds to understand it and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Uh, Beginning at verse 15. Aware of this, the plot to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smouldering wick, he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him, so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, his kingdom is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, well, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob him. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, well let's um, pray, shall we? Uh, Father, we want to thank you for your word, and we pray now that uh, by your word and spirit that you would be opening our minds and uh, changing our hearts, that we would be people who uh, place Jesus as Lord uh, of our lives. We pray also for the children as they uh, learn more about uh, the Lord Jesus, that his gospel would be firmly um, um, uh, embedded in their lives and that they would grow strong in him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Professor Richard Dawkins uh, once wrote some very nice things about Jesus, uh, as if he actually likes him. He described Jesus in an article as being, and I quote, a charismatic young preacher who advocated generous forgiveness, who must have seemed radical to the point of subversion. No wonder they nailed him. And that's uh, Professor Richard Dawkins. It's a little bit surprising because uh, Dawkins is one of the world's most famous atheists. Uh, And yet, like a lot of people... He appreciates Jesus. He loves his moral teaching. He respects Jesus for exposing the hypocrisy of the uh, religious establishment of the time. But as an atheist, he claims uh, something else about Jesus. Let me read to you what he goes on to say in that article. He says, Of course Jesus was a theist. A theist, by the way, that's someone who believes in the existence of God. Of course, Jesus was a theist, but he was a theist because in his time, everybody was. Uh, atheism was not an option, even for so radical a thinker as Jesus. Uh, I understand that uh, in other publications, uh, Richard Dawkins has said that if Jesus lived today, he would be an atheist, as a, <coughs> as a, as a, as a fresh thinker kind of thing. And so, whilst he, he likes Jesus, he also dismisses Jesus. Uh, no wonder his book, The God Delusion, sold millions and millions of copies in 31 languages around the world. Because by what he says, he claims to like Jesus, whilst in the next breath he dismisses Jesus. Now, friends, ironically, the, the Pharisees who stalked Jesus, also dismissed him by what they said. And what people say about Jesus really, really does matter. Uh, We're going to have a look at that today as we uh, continue our series in Matthew's Gospel. If you'd like to have your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 12, uh, we see in a number of ways the the kinds of things that people said about Jesus. And I want to start off in verses 15 to 21... Uh, where we see what Jesus actually wanted people to say about him. Uh, Let me read that to you again, uh, if we can pick it up in verse 15. In verse 15, uh, Matthew says, Aware of this, and that is aware that the Pharisees were now plotting to kill Jesus, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, many followed him, and he healed all their sick warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what, the prophet, uh, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory, and in his name the nations will put their hope. So, uh, let's think about it. What is it that Jesus wants people to say about him? Well, uh, in verse 15, not very much, actually. Uh, Jesus, in fact when Jesus heals someone, uh, he often uh, tells a person not to go and tell others what he has done. Uh, This is what we see in verse 15. Uh, And why is that? Why would Jesus not want people to be talking about him? Well, Matthew here says that that is in order to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said about the coming servant... Now, in the Isaiah prophecy, there's two things that we learn about the the, the one who was to come. Uh, First of all, in verse 18, uh, he would be anointed with the Spirit of God. And we've seen that in Matthew's Gospel, haven't we? In Matthew chapter 1, uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, In uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, when Jesus was baptised, remember the... The Spirit of God descended on Jesus as a dove, and the voice of God the Father uh, declared, This is my Son whom I love. He's anointed by God uh, and with the Holy Spirit. And so we see that relationship between Jesus and the Spirit uh, in Matthew's Gospel. The second thing that the Isaiah prophecy tells us about Jesus, or about the the coming one, is what we see in verses 19 through to 21, and that is that uh, as he ministers, he is gentle. Um, he, he's not going to uh, to, um, uh, to 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 break a a, um, a a reed. He's not going to. Um, uh, he's not going to break a bruised reed. He's not going to snuff out a smouldering wick. Uh, people who are, uh, who are unwell, people who are not strong, he's, not, he's actually going to help such people. Uh, he's, he's, he's very gentle and he's quiet about it, uh, which is very different to the Pharisees who, in verse 14, were plotting to kill him. Now, for, for many Jews, this was actually not what they had in mind about the coming one, who had been promised by the prophets. Uh, They expected when the Christ, that is, the the Lord's anointed one, came, that he would lead a rebellion, that he would stand up to the Romans, that he would uh, become their king. And yet here is Jesus, gentle, caring towards those who are sick and underprivileged, and he's actually withdrawing from from conflict. Uh, But what we see in Isaiah is that whilst God's anointed one would be king, he would also be the gentle, suffering servant. And that is why, in verse 15, Jesus withdraws. Uh, He is God's anointed, um, who is gentle, who does not quarrel. Uh, But we mustn't be fooled because in verse 21, again quoting from Isaiah, he will be victorious. So that's the, uh, uh, the way that Jesus fulfills uh, the prophets. But what we see in this passage, and indeed throughout Matthew's Gospel, is that as Jesus preaches, heals, and drives out demons, people must react to Jesus. Uh, and we see that here in this passage, because in verse 22, there is a man who was demon-possessed, uh, he's blind, and he's mute. Let me read that to you, verse twenty-two. Uh, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and he healed him, so that he could both talk and see. Now, uh, this man had big problems, didn't he? I mean, he—he uh, uh, he, he cannot see; he's completely blind. Cannot sp- imagine if you could not see and you could not speak, you couldn't communicate. A- and the way that this is written in the original, it's, uh, it seems that it's likely that the, the fact that he can't see and the fact that he, he's mute is because he is possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. Uh, this man's situation in life is, is just appalling. It, it is dreadful. And yet, uh, Matthew only allocates one sentence to the whole thing, his condition and what Jesus does to help him. Only one, one sentence allocated to that. And the reason for that is because Matthew is actually more interested in how people react to Jesus as a result of what happens. And I want us just to look briefly at the different reactions to Jesus... Uh, firstly, there was the reaction of the ordinary people. Uh, in, in verse 23, the, the crowds, this. They're, they're actually not sure about Jesus. Yeah, and so they ask, ask the question, well, who is this man? You know, Could he be the son of David? Could he be the anointed one whom we're expecting? Now... Some people like to think of Jesus as being a great moral teacher. Um, But when they read in the Bible about the miracles, they dismiss those parts of the Bible as being just pure fiction. And the reason they do that is because, well, miracles just don't happen. Um, And this is precisely the point. Uh, Normally, miracles don't happen. And that is why these people are so astounded with what happens to this man through Jesus. They're not sure about Jesus. There's a question mark about him. Because he's not what he expected of God's king, but yet the miracles, well, maybe he actually could be the one. Maybe he could be the son of David. And so they're not quite sure about him, but they're tending towards, they're starting to think that maybe this one might be the king who we were expecting. The second reaction, though, comes from the Pharisees, because they had to squash that idea. Uh, Verse 24. Uh, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So what are they saying about Jesus? There's, he's, he's not the son of David. No, they're saying that he is satanic. Um, the word Beelzebub, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it uh, essentially comes from, from Baal worship. Uh, it means Lord Baal. And, and so what they are saying is that the Pharisees, they're, they're not accusing Jesus of being a magician. Uh, they're not saying that this is just by smoke and mirrors that he can do these things. It's not as if, the man actually wasn't uh, blind and mute and it's just a a bit of a con job that's been going on no they concede that what has happened is spiritual but they claim that it is by the power of satan that jesus drives out demons now as gentle as jesus is and how he the fact that he doesn't want to provoke controversy Uh, Nevertheless, this is not a comment that he can just let go through to the keeper. It must be challenged. Because what we say about Jesus does matter. So how does he respond? Uh, Well, firstly, in verses 25 to 26, he simply says that it is illogical to say that uh, I'm driving out demons by the power of the prince of demons. That's illogical because... Uh, If Satan drives out Satan by the power, then Satan is actually destroying himself. And even Satan is not that dumb. Uh, Then he turns up the heat in verse 27, uh, where he says, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges." But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, what is he saying there? Well, there's there's something in there that's not, it's implicit. And that is that there are actually other people who are driving out demons. And that uh, some of these people are people who are associated with the Pharisees. We know that from other parts of the Bible... For example, just a couple of chapters back in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says that many will come to me on that day and say, did we not drive out demons in your name? And, and I'll say, depart from me because I never, I never knew you. Uh, there's a, a scenario in Acts where there was some, a bunch of Jews who were going around driving out demons. And uh, there's more that we could say about that. Whether they're successful in driving out demons, that's not the the topic here. Uh, The point is that there were other people who claimed to be able to drive out demons and some of these people were associated with the Pharisees. And so what Jesus is saying here is that since the Pharisees have their own people who drive out demons, let those people be the judge of what's going on. Because if demons are driven out by the power of Satan, then surely the Pharisees are condemned for supporting that through their own people. But if it is by the Spirit of God that Jesus is driving out demons, then they are condemned for rejecting the work of Jesus. Uh, for in verse 28, if Jesus is driving out demons by the Spirit of God, then what has happened? What's actually going on here? Well, uh, it's really important because what it's saying is that in the spiritual realm, the world order is changing. Um, Satan is elsewhere referred to as the Uh, The God of this world, um, the the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And when we see uh, the effects of the fall, uh, sin and sickness and the power of Satan uh, being reversed through Jesus, then we see that the kingdom of God is now breaking into uh, the kingdom of this world. And the prince of this world is now losing his grip on power. And this is a foretaste of God's victory over Satan, which ultimately happens uh, in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus spells it out in verse 29, where he says, Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. Uh, That is, if you're going to um, plunder someone's house, you've got to disable the strong person who owns that house. And uh, that is that far from being empowered by Satan, by driving out demons, um, Jesus is showing that the power that he has is greater than the power of satan and he's actually plundering satan's household as people come out of the darkness and into the kingdom of light and that is because god is stronger and the kingdom of god has come now you can understand why even atheists really like jesus Because nobody spoke to the Pharisees like that. No one stood up to the establishment and cornered them uh, like Jesus did. I mean, they'd already made up their minds about Jesus. But the crowds weren't quite so sure. The crowds are still thinking, maybe he's the son of David, maybe he's not. So in verse 30, Jesus is frank. And that is, you cannot sit on the fence. Uh, Let's look at verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Uh, There's two choices. Uh, Either Jesus drives out demons by the power of Beelzebub, or he does so by the power of God. There's no in-betweens here. There's no fence. You can't sit on any fence. You must Make up your mind as to who Jesus is. A- and this is the same today. I-, I mean, I think it would be very hard to find someone who would actually claim that the miracles Jesus did, he did by the power of Satan. I've never met any such person who said that. Um, however, it is much easier to find people who just say, well, the, the miracles never happened, um, that uh, it's just all a work of fiction and including religious leaders who will say such things. Um, For example, there's a a bishop, uh, Bishop Spong, and he claims to be a follower of Jesus. Well, that's good news, he's a bishop. You'd expect a bishop to be a follower of Jesus, but listen to what he says about Jesus on uh, his website when I checked it some time ago. He says, firstly, amongst other things, he says, uh, firstly, the virgin birth, understood as literal biology, makes Christ's divinity, as traditionally understood, impossible. So what's he saying? Jesus is not God. Uh, Secondly, the miracle stories of the New Testament can no longer be interpreted in a post-Newtonian world as supernatural events performed by an incarnate deity. I love the sort of pseudo-scientific stuff in that, don't you? It really makes it sound very intellectual. Um, Thirdly, the view of the cross as the sacrifice for the sins of the world is a barbarian idea based on primitive concepts of God and must be dismissed. It's like people who say that the atonement is um, child abuse that God would do that to His Son. Now, this is a church leader um, in the Episcopal system. the The Pharisees said that Jesus did His miracles by Satan. Their twenty first century friends just say that the miracles never happened at all, and they strip away all the sense of supernaturalness uh, from the Gospels and from the life and the ministry of Jesus. They claim to believe in Jesus and yet they dismiss him. Uh, and that I think helps us to understand uh, what Jesus says next. Because he, in verses 31 and 32 he says something which has been a bit controversial amongst Christians and I think causes a little bit of um unnecessary anxiety. Uh, verse thirty one And so I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, what do you make of that? Um, What does it mean to speak a word against or to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And why won't God forgive that? Uh, especially when he will forgive someone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus. And so you can you can blaspheme Jesus and you can be forgiven, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, no, uh, you're not forgiven. Uh, what does that mean? I, I mean, it's Causes anxiety amongst some people. Uh, one lady in the church I used to minister in, uh, she used to worry that, she, was a, she put her faith in Jesus, but she used to worry that before she became a Christian that she might have blasphemed the Holy Spirit somehow and that she was doubtful about whether or not she was forgiven um, because of that. More commonly, I've come across Christians who would uh, use this Uh, against other Christians who question or doubt that certain spiritual phenomena actually come from the Holy Spirit. And so uh, someone might say, well, I don't think that that experience actually is the Holy Spirit, I think it's something else, and they're seen as being blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and that puts them in dangerous territory. And it's, it's hard to understand how those things could be unforgivable uh, yet to speak against Jesus is forgivable as if Jesus is somehow less important than the Spirit. I think context is important here. And when we're reading our Bibles we've, we must be careful not to just take certain things out of their context because that can lead us to wrong conclusions and wrong applications. The old saying that um, a text out of context is a proof text for a pretext. Uh, Put that more simply, if you take the text out of context, you're just left with a con, all right? Um, Think about it. Now, so we need to think about the context here. And I think it's very important. In Matthew chapter 12, at this point in Jesus' ministry his identity is still being progressively revealed. Uh, indeed it's only after the resurrection of Jesus that his identity as God's king become abs- becomes absolutely clear and we can see how the Prophecies on, in Isaiah relating him to him, uh, about him being the victorious king uh, actually um, connect and reconcile with the prophecies uh, about him being the suffering servant uh, and the gentle one, as in Isaiah 40 that we looked at earlier. Uh, that all becomes clear after his resurrection because by being raised from the dead uh, it is abundantly apparent that jesus uh, has defeated satan because he has uh, the 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 very thing which satan had against us which is the guilt of our sin has been uh, paid for by jesus on the cross and in his resurrection Uh, it is clear that that payment is deemed to be by God the Father as being sufficient. Uh, And so uh, he's paid the debt for our sin, he's freed us from the grip that Satan held over us and enables us to look forward to a life eternal spent with him, Uh, whereas for Satan the future looks a bit more grim than that. And so it's in the resurrection that his identity is uh, fully revealed. Uh, so that uh, in, for example, in Acts chapter 3, the apostles Peter and John. Now remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times. He was forgiven, wasn't he? Uh, in Acts chapter 3, uh, the Apostles Peter and John healed a crippled man and when an astonished crowd gathered around having seen that Peter preached the gospel and amongst other things he told this Jewish crowd that they with the help of wicked men had murdered the prince uh, had murdered the author of life but that they had acted in ignorance and so he invited them to turn to God so that their sins would be wiped out forgiven that is they acted in ignorance in killing Jesus but they can now be forgiven Uh, whereas these Pharisees were not ignorant they were eyewitnesses I mean to see a blind man healed to see a deaf person here to see lame people getting up and walking to see a leper being healed To watch as uh, tortured, demon possessed people are liberated in fulfillment of the prophets, and to say, well, that's the work of Satan. Well, Jesus is saying, you're not ignorant. You've seen the work of the Spirit of the living God, and you've accredited it to the prince of demons. That's not forgivable. Now we might ask, "Well, is this too harsh? You know, were were the Pharisees just being a little bit careless with their words? Well, yes, they are words, but evil words flow from an evil heart. This is what Jesus talks about in verses thirty-three to thirty-seven. But I'll just thirty thirty-seven. Just read the last couple of verses there, from verse thirty-six. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words uh, you will be condemned. Now there's more we could say about that topic but uh, let me finish off today by saying that in one sense you and I are actually better off than the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. Because we know about the, great, the greatest miracle. We know about the resurrection. And so, for us, the unforgivable sin uh, is to reject, uh, to reject Jesus, uh, who, uh, by the, who is declared uh, with power, uh, the power of the Spirit by his resurrection, to be the Son. Um, the anointed one of of, of God, in Romans chapter 1. When someone dismisses Jesus, they dismiss both the Father and the Spirit. Uh, In uh, 1 John chapter 2 verse 22, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, um, denies the Father as well. And so what we say about Jesus matters. Actually, I found a photograph of Richard Dawkins that you might like. It's a bit of a cheeky photo. Do you like that? Uh, He's proudly wearing a T-shirt which says, Atheists for Jesus. It's both disarming and dismissive at the same time. Disarming because, well, he says that I like Jesus, but dismissive because he rejects who Jesus is and why he came. Now uh, very few people would be as bold in their unbelief as that, and as I said I don't know anyone who claims that Jesus is satanic, but for many people Jesus is simply just a great man who gave the world its highest moral teaching, Um, even people within churches. Um, Some years ago, uh, Cassie and I had a friend in this church, an elderly lady, who loved reading the Bible and loved praying. She would do so every day. And she said that she um, firmly believed in Jesus. But as we got to know her better, particularly as she was getting very frail and uh, looked like she uh, wasn't going to have many more days with us, uh, Cassian particularly tried to get to know her better and would meet with her and um, read the Bible with her. Uh, but she came clear to us that she didn't believe in Jesus because she, she kept on saying that, well, I don't think he's God. Jesus is not actually God. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. But he's not God. And we could have said, well never mind, never mind that she says just a few wrong things about Jesus, I mean her heart's in the right place. But no, what a person says about Jesus actually flows from their heart and our friend's heart was in the wrong place and that mattered, it mattered eternally. So we just kept on gently uh, lovingly but clearly pressing the point with her. And I'm not sure that she came to a right view of and faith in Jesus um, before her end. The right view uh, is that Jesus was not just a great teacher, that he was God uh, in the flesh who died for us. So I just want to ask you with the, leave you with a question to ask you, What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you that uh, through the pages of Scripture that you have revealed to us um, who Jesus is and why he came. Uh, We thank you, Father God, that uh, he is your anointed one who, uh, by his works, by his miracles, and particularly by his death and his resurrection, uh, has uh, defeated the strong man and is plundering his house uh, as your kingdom um, uh, is, comes in t- into this world and the kingdom of Satan uh, is defeated. Father, we pray for each one of us, that we pray that uh, we would be uh, men and women who clearly put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and we do so in his name. Amen.